one of the big things we have here on the show is making sure that you have clarity in all of your relationships in life, that you are seeing people clearly and there's clarity of expectations. I'm Clint Hoops, and this is the Unrivaled Man Podcast. The Unrivaled Man is where we help businessmen like you be the unrivaled leader in their work and home. We're revealing the perspective you've been missing to upgrade your identity and become better husbands, fathers, family men, and business owners. Let's get started. Welcome to the Unrivaled Man Podcast. I am so excited today to have my guest, Lisa Welsher. So let me tell you a little about Lisa. Lisa Welsher is a management consultant turned emotional intelligence aficionado. Early on in her career, Lisa founded a software company and management consulting practice. She and her team worked primarily in the information technology sector, focused on system implementations and process improvement initiatives. So over nearly 30 years, Lisa had the opportunity to work with leading companies such as Merck and Company, Dow Jones, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Sharp Electronics, Goldman Sachs, MedStar Health, New York University, and other Fortune 500 companies. She knows what a focus on emotional intelligence can do for individual people and companies, which is why she now focuses her time and energy on teaching master level emotional intelligence in her Empowered by Emotions program. Lisa, welcome to the Unrivaled Man podcast. Thanks, Clint. It's great to be here. Appreciate you having me. Well, I love it. It's it's so fun. Lisa and I have known each other for quite a while now. And it's funny. I'm going to be totally honest with you. When I first heard about emotional intelligence with Lisa and I heard about her course, I was thinking, okay, emotional intelligence. I've, I've read some articles on emotional intelligence. It seemed pretty simple. Yeah. Just, you know, listen to your emotions and everything's going to be okay. Now as a man, right. And there's a lot of men listening to this. We don't often like to talk about our emotions. (laughs) And that is the very reason I have Lisa on right now, because she knows more about this topic than any single person I know. And she has helped me learn a lot about my emotions. And so Lisa is here today with us today to help discuss three long-standing myths about your emotions, all right? So I'm gonna read what these three are, Lisa, okay? And then what we're gonna do is, we're gonna get a little deeper. So here here are the three. There are no negative emotions, and that's gonna take some people back, thinking, okay, no negative emotions. I felt one today on my way to work, right? Um, In the car with that person that cut me off. Emotions are trusted advisors. Emotions are a call to action. All right. So before we get into these deeper, into these myths, I would love for everyone to get to know you a little bit better, Lisa. So tell us, tell us a little bit more about your journey from being a management consultant to fortune 500 companies for over 25 years, and then owning a software company all at the same time to getting to the point where you focus on emotional intelligence. Sure. Sure. Well, like you said, I had a practice that focused on management consulting for a variety of recurring clients. I had a small software company as well. And we focused our attention primarily on technology implementations, system implementations to improve performance. 
and process engineering efforts. So that's really where the bulk of our work took place. And we certainly had some great results in helping them improve performance, but there was always this undercurrent of the people-related issues that no technology and no process engineering performance improvement was going to change. So that said, I was moving along kind of day in, day out, and keeping my head above water, et cetera. And I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was going through a difficult time. And I said, well, how are you feeling? And she said, how am I feeling? I'm feeling, I think, angry, anxious, frustrated. And you know what, by the way, I don't even know if those are feelings or if those are emotions. Do you know the difference? And I kind of sat there and I thought to myself, "Mm, not sure I do and not really sure if it matters. And like you, Clint, I had read the Daniel Goldman Emotional Intelligence. You know, I had read articles. I had taken the tests to tell you how, you know, what your score of emotional intelligence was. But it never really dawned on me, okay, what's the difference? So I did some Google searching. And that's where it all started for me, that I started to kind of dig deeper, go beyond just the 30,000-foot view, And I started finding things out, one of which is the myth. There are no negative emotions. (laughs) And then I learned a little bit more. And I found out that emotions are a call to action. They're, They're signals trying to get us to take action. So I was blown away. And I spent years studying emotions and started to apply my new emotional intelligence in meetings with clients and also in my personal life. And people started to ask me, what are you doing? How did you just get that meeting to shift and get back on track so we got the outcome that we did? Or how is it, I always love this one, how is it that you can be in the same room with that that person? I can't stand him or her. Right. So I started getting a lot of questions and basically my answer was always the same. I was engaging with my emotions. And from there, I decided as I looked a little deeper and kind of explored a little bit more, loved doing system implementations, loved doing process improvement efforts, but they didn't address the people factor. And that's where the pivot happened for me. And that's where I decided to go all in full time into developing the Empowered by Emotions program. And that's how I've landed where I am. Man, okay. So what I'm hearing you say basically is you were going through working with these huge companies, very successful companies, Mm -hmm. right? Almost in spite of themselves, not being able to manage this part of themselves and their people, right? And it basically felt like you were saying, okay, you almost had like a greater message to share, right? It's like, I can help you with process improvement, but if I can help you engage with your emotions, I like the way you shared with that. You said Mm -hmm. you learned to engage with your emotions. So tell us a little bit more, because it sounds like basically you said, if people can engage with their emotions, other things will work out. It's a game changer. So explain a little more what engaging with your emotions means or what it looks like. Before I do, I'll share one other thought that's a little little edgy, Clint, and and yet it gets the point across. As I was going through thinking what this program would be, and quite frankly, 
thinking whether or not I had the courage to step away from a very successful consulting practice, right? Move my attention away from that and focus on emotional intelligence. Because like you said, hmm, yeah, emotions, emotional intelligence, hmm, not so easy to swallow sometimes. And people don't always get it. They don't always get it immediately, right? Yeah, no. Or see no. the need. Yeah. Right. And I was having dinner with dear friends of mine and a friend of mine who sits in the C-suite for a Fortune 100 company. He listened and he kind of nodded his head and he said, I get it. And he said, you know what, Lisa? Emotional intelligence is the new weapon to win. It's the new performance edge. It's the new performance advantage. So from his perspective, and I know your audience is predominantly men, so that may resonate with them. It made me a little uncomfortable in the context of the weapon to win. It was fairly strong <laughs> language, but he got it. But a weapon is just a tool, right? It's a tool to accomplish an outcome. That's exactly how he intended yeah. it, right? No violence, no crime. It had nothing, no flavor of that. But it was intended to say, yeah, maybe go back 20 or 30 years ago. Mm, the competitive advantage came from technology or the competitive advantage was coming from process improvement efforts. And he was acknowledging in the workplace how now that's kind of commonplace. If your technology is not working and your processes aren't optimized, mm, you're a little late to the party. But mm. this whole aspect of getting your people to engage with emotional intelligence, that's the game changer. And here's the thing, Clint. Why I get even more enthusiastic about it is because it's not isolated to work and business. Mm. It's at home as well. It's a game changer at home. And when I say a performance edge, I'm not talking about one-upping somebody. I'm not talking about showing up and having a control over your family at home. I'm talking about helping you to be your very best self. I'm talking about ways that people can basically upgrade their skills relative to how they're showing up. So I just wanted to share a little bit about that. Thank you. And then I know you had asked me a question and I took a sideline and I forget what the question was. Oh, I'm so no. sorry. My question was, as far as engaging with your emotions, what does that even mean? Okay. Right? Okay. To engage with your emotions. Yep. So sometimes I think to understand what something is, you have to understand what it's not. So I teach there are three responses to emotions. You can repress them. That's where you're gripping the steering wheel and you're keeping your mouth shut and you're not saying what you really want to say, right? You can repress them. You can react to them. That's where you're slamming on your horn or you're, you know, saying things that you know shouldn't come out of your mouth, that knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, yeah. Or you can engage with them. And basically what engaging with them looks like is, first of all, understanding there are no negative emotions. Second of all, understanding that emotions are a form of intelligence, right? They are trusted advisors. So don't rule them out. If you get angry, if you understand that anger is the emotion that activates when someone does something or something happens, 
that violates one of your beliefs, knowing that you can then take action, take action that supports that definition. So you're saying that being angry is not a negative emotion. It is not. So you're saying I'm driving down the road. This guy cuts me off. I am furious, right? I about died and I'm angry, but that is not a negative emotion. That's right. So here's the very important clarification. Please. Anger is not negative. Okay. If you fly off the handle and the action you take is to scream and shout and swerve in front of him and cause danger, put other people at risk, your action is negative. Okay. But the emotion of anger is not what's negative. Okay, I like the differentiation because you're basically saying the outcome can be positive or negative potentially, but the emotions that are coming are just information. We get to decide what do we do with those? So we get to repress, react, or engage. So depending on how you're feeling, (laughs) right, you may do one or the other, but what you're saying is, is engage. Yes. And what a lot of people don't realize, and I call it like the Goldilocks principle, When I was learning about emotions, some of the information about emotions is too soft, Clint. It's like I would be reading it and I would think maybe I should be engaging in a love hug or a kumbaya circle or it was too soft. It was hard for me to relate to the information. I persevered because I did derive value from it, but some of the information is too soft. Some of the information is too hard. It's too clinical. You had to have a degree in neuroscience or psychology to fully understand it. So what I've done with the Empowered by Emotions program is I've tried to find the right happy medium. I've tried to find a way to present emotional intelligence, knowledge about your emotions and skills related to your emotions in a way that's easy to access. So when you think along the lines of what you just were articulating, I would summarize that in a simple statement. What a lot of people don't know is there is an emotion behind every action you take. There is an emotion behind every decision you make. So the emotion of anger is behind the action that you take to scream and shout and push the accelerator or take action that we refer to as being, that's what's negative. And then that can absolutely translate into negative results. I remember when I was young, I used to be incredibly reactive with my emotions, like most children, right? Most Mm -hmm. children, just an emotion happens, they react because that's just how they are. They're still learning, right? And I remember I used to react. My brothers would tease me or something would happen. I would react and I would get so angry. I mean, I would just be over the top angry. And I remember my mother, she taught me to count to 10, right? She said, count to 10. After that, you can do something about it, right? So essentially, she taught me to repress my emotions a little bit, repress it a little bit. And you're not alone. That really helped me. It kept me out of trouble. It kept me from giving a black eye to my brother. Absolutely. And there are times when repressing your emotions is appropriate. You know, I don't want to get it too detailed, but for me, that's engaging 
because you make a conscious decision that says in this current environment, this current situation, it's to my advantage to kind of repress that anger. So let's take an example. It's Thanksgiving. Everybody's around the table and Uncle Harvey or Aunt Margaret is doing something that's really irritating and my anger activates. I could repress it and let it churn inside me and churn and burn. Or I could engage and say to myself, you know what? I don't really need to express what they're doing that's violating my belief system. I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to check in. This is another thing we learn in the program. Name it to tame it. I'm going to check in. I'm going to name it. That's anger. And I've learned that anger is the emotion that activates when someone does something that violates one of my beliefs or values. And right now, Aunt Maggie, who keeps interrupting everybody, is getting on my nerves. Oh, and emotions are call to action. They are calls to action. So anger is waiting for me to take an action. So if I just repress it, and I brew and stew, that's different than engaging with it, naming it to tame it, and making a conscious decision that it's in everybody's best interest for me to just sit it out for the next couple of minutes before it's dessert time and we're all gonna get up from the table. But repressing to me is akin to brew and stew, whereas engaging is naming it to tame it And the action may be to do nothing, but that's not quite the same as repressing it. That makes more sense because in my mind a little bit, I was thinking, all right, basically what you're doing when you said engage, you are repressing it is what it felt like to me. But I realize, I guess that is different because you're not repressing and holding. That's right. You're actually, for lack of a better word, you're, I mean, that's what engages, but you're almost dealing with the emotion. Yeah. Like you said, identifying it and engaging with it. I I like that. And Clint, I would add, you know, when you were saying these three myths, I would correlate this or link this back to the three myths. The one, there are no negative emotions. That does not mean there are no difficult emotions. So that's an important difference. Negative emotions implies anger, fear, anxiety, guilt, shame. They're negative. They're bad and you therefore shouldn't feel them. Whereas instead of saying negative emotions, there are absolutely difficult emotions. It's difficult to sit at the table with yappy Aunt Maggie, right? It's difficult to get home. You don't really have an Aunt Maggie, do you? I do not. Okay, just in case she listens to the show, I just want to make sure we're not getting you in trouble. Okay. I do not have an Aunt Maggie, or I think I called her Aunt Mabel. I don't know what I called her. And I do love people with the name Mabel and Maggie, so my apologies. Right. I love it. But you say, okay, as dads come home at the end of the day, you are going to come home to things that are going to make you angry. And when you're at work, and maybe even at home, you are going to encounter things that are going to cause your anxiety to activate. Absolutely. But they are difficult. They are not negative. And this is the second myth buster, which is, holy cow, emotions are actually 
trusted advisors. Emotions are designed to serve a purpose, just like your liver, your spleen, your heart, your lungs. Emotions serve a purpose. And they can, if you listen to them, they can be trusted advisors that bring important information into your awareness. When you know what each emotion is designed to do, and we go over all of those definitions in the program that I've taught, and then you can start to lean on them and trust what they're trying to bring into your awareness. That's the intelligence part of emotional intelligence, right? Absolutely. Is knowing enough to recognize what they are, to know how to engage with them, instead of just reacting and repressing like we typically do, right? Absolutely. Because engaging might even look like reacting to other people, right? An emotion might come up and you might be like, no, I need to nip this in the bud right now, potentially with an employee. And something's happening. It may look like anger or reaction to someone else, but you made a conscious decision to engage and say, yes, this isn't behavior to be tolerated. I'm going to address this right now. Absolutely. And if a vendor doesn't follow through on a commitment or an employee isn't performing in a way whereby they're meeting important deadlines, of course you're going to be angry. You're probably going to be a little anxious as well. Things on the home front. If your kid, if you're a father to a high school kid who's you know dragging their feet on something that's important to them, of course you're going to get angry. Of course you're going to get annoyed. But it's how you then engage in giving voice to your anger, because this was really cool for me, is that third myth, not that it's not all really cool. I could talk about this stuff, (laughs) you know, I could talk about it all day long. I love it. The other myth that we're busting is that emotions are a call to action. Here's what this means, Clint. Emotions are designed to come and go, activate and deactivate, ebb and flow. They're not designed to linger and stay on for prolonged periods of time. And what causes them to stay on and linger for prolonged periods of time is when you don't take a suitable action. So let me so let me ask a question then here. Someone holding a grudge, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Describe that a little bit for me. I mean, that's somebody feeling an emotion right? Something they felt wronged or something, or they felt lied to, they felt cheated. I don't know, whatever it is, they felt wronged in some way. And now they're holding a grudge and it's, it's weeks or even years later, which would be tragedy, right? How does that fit? I mean, is that just repression or is that a reaction of some sort, meaning not engaging with people? It's the consequence of not taking a suitable action. So let's do an example at work. You have an employee who you've just hired. They've been part of the team for three months. So they're not a newbie newbie, right? It's been enough time for them to be onboarded and that you've given them a particular deliverable that you need done related to a large account that you're trying to secure or something of significant importance. High stakes though. They've been there long enough that you're like, they can handle this. And the salary is comparable to what kind of performance I'm expecting. It's not like you're asking a junior person to do something of significant high stake involvement, right? Within their capability, 
is what we're saying, Absolutely. right? Okay. I like it. Yep. So let's say I'm that person. Okay. And Friday comes and I haven't delivered accordingly. Okay. You are my leader and you're going to get angry. Let's say we're in the meeting with another prospect and that's when we find out that I didn't deliver my end of the bargain. You're going to be angry. Because I probably looked foolish at that point, right? I'm I'm the one leading it. I'm looking foolish yep. because they're on my team, which means I failed as a leader. Yep. So here's where the difference comes in. If you were raised to think that anger is a negative emotion and you shouldn't be spending time, you shouldn't be feeling anger, you might fumble a bit. Hey, Lisa, like that wasn't good in there. That wasn't good. So um, I just need some space to think, but that was not good. And then you don't take it much further or you knee jerk because that was repressing, right? Yes. Or you knee jerk reaction and you demand that I meet you in your office. You close the door and you berate me for all of the incompetencies and how could I possibly let the company down? And you fume, 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 okay? Yes. Here's what engaging sounds like, Clint. At the end of the meeting, hey, Lisa, I need to speak with you in my office now. And we go in and you say, remember, anger is the emotion that activates when someone does something that violates one of your beliefs. Hey, Lisa, my expectation is that you will keep your commitments relative to on-time deliverables. So if you are interested in working on my team, my expectation, aka belief, yes. right? my expectation is that you will deliver on time. And if there is ever a situation where you can't, you will absolutely give your team heads up notice and will not wait and disclose that in a client facing meeting. I am very angry that you put us in that position and you failed to deliver. It is not okay with me. And I am asking that you ensure that you are prepared for the follow-up meeting and we will do a dry run the day before. Do you have any questions? So what I didn't do, Clint, is I didn't shame the employee. I kept focused on what belief, the expectation that I had. I provided strong leadership that was very clear and concise because I engaged with my anger and I was empowered because I had an understanding of why anger activates. I know I can trust my anger. And I know it's not going to go away until I take action. You will most likely still have some lingering irritation. But when you get in the car to go home, anger is probably not going to still be active at that same level of intensity as it would have been if you had had a knee-jerk reaction or had repressed it. Because you've done 
something that anger, which is action requiring, found suitable. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, so really in the end, if you had repressed your anger, for instance, and you hadn't communicated properly, really in the end, that's where you would potentially start holding a grudge and think this person is incompetent. This person doesn't know what to do. And then you start having these bad feelings about this person on your team when really that makes you a poor leader at that point because you are not engaging, like you said, with the information you had to be able to communicate with the employee. One of the big things we have here on the show is making sure that you have clarity in all of your relationships in life, that you are seeing people clearly and there's clarity of expectations. So clarity of expectations in your family life, clarity of expectations with your employees. So this would be a perfect example of not communicating everything properly with your employee, which really in the end reflects on you, the leader. So you start having the, putting all these other feelings, right, that start coming up about this employee that really are coming from me and not even from what they're doing at this point. I like it. Absolutely. And I am also a strong believer that part of clarity is being empowered with the right lingo, the right vocabulary, the right literacy to express what it is that you need to communicate to achieve that clarity, right? If you think of somebody who says, you know, I'm just so angry. I, I, you, I am just, I can't believe. That's not real clear, Mm -mm. right? It's very emotional, but go back to the role play we did. My expectation is on time. If you aren't going to be on time, I would have expected that you would have proactively reached out and let us know, right? That's clear communication. Let's keep going down this angle. So both anger and I would think anxiety is another one that shows up frequently. Honestly, at home too. I mean, I think about all of the things that as a child, what you have to go through. And I think about my wife at home and so many of just the things that are happening in life and all of the demands on her time and Mm -hmm. from the children and all these different things. I mean, I have six kids. That is demanding, right? And I know that that can come up with both anger and anxiety at times where it just feels overwhelming. What am I going to do? Will you walk us through that in both work and home? What are these emotions trying to tell us? I don't know. How, how can we be more intelligent in, in both of those settings? Sounds great. So if we reiterate the three myths that we're busting, there are no negative emotions. And I'm going to say the same holds true with anxiety as it does with anger, right? There are no negative emotions. So anxiety and anger, as we have already discussed, are not negative emotions. They're hard. They're difficult, but they're not negative. And we've also talked about how emotions are trusted advisors. They are designed to bring valuable information into our awareness. And the same holds true for anxiety. I'm going to tell you that anxiety is actually very similar to fear, with the exception of anxiety is future based. So fear and anxiety are the emotions to act that activate when there is a risk or a perceived risk to your physical safety or your emotional well-being. Anxiety is different because it's future-based. So you would potentially say, I am very anxious 
about the graduation party that's happening tomorrow evening and we're not prepared and ready. Fear is where the bear is at the back door right here, right now. Or the party just fell apart. Something just happened and you feel like you're going to look foolish or whatever. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly right. Because you, you were perfect with what you just said there, Clint, because remember physical safety or emotional well-being. And if the tent is leaking or it's collapsing on a side and you stand to look like a knucklehead in front of the hundred people that have just come to celebrate with you, right? So people think of fear and they think of anxiety, but they're not always clear on two things that they activate when there's a physical safety that's at risk and they activate when your emotional safety, your emotional well-being is at risk. And fear is real time right now. Uh, let's say I'm back at the office and I see people being called into a corner office with HR. My fear right now, real time, is going to activate because I'm thinking that there's a strong chance these are layoffs. And my emotional safety, my ability to provide for my family, that's why it's going to activate. You're thinking, I'm next, right? Yes. It doesn't matter how confident you were before, you're now feeling that, yeah, that fear. That's right. Interesting. Then we can also say we're out to lunch and and we see the C-suite members having lunch with strangers. And we start to speculate that it may be that the company's going to be acquired. That's anxiety because it's future-based. Ah, makes sense. So here again, when you understand that they are designed to bring valuable information into your awareness, they're, they're signaling you with information and they're a call to action. If you get home and it's Friday and the party is on Saturday and the lawn hasn't been mowed, the house is filthy, whatever things that are teeing up that need to be done, you got a cancellation from the caterer last minute because of COVID, your anxiety is appropriately activating so you can get down to business and focus on action that's going to help you be better prepared. Now, if you came home and instead you just started to complain and started to just spiral, Anxiety is going to stay active because you're not taking action that's suitable to help it recede. Let's take this a step further. I'm going to use an example of my daughter because I think it's pertinent to both children and also to employees because we have employees that are feeling these same emotions and often not responding or engaging the way that they could, right? So we, we have an opportunity to help our employees do the same thing, right? And our children. So I'm going to use the example of my child. One of my kids, she often worries a lot. She starts Mm -hmm. getting anxious. I mean, she's a high performer. Like I would describe her that way, just at heart. Like she is someone who wants to do things perfect. She wants it right. And sometimes at night she'll go to bed and she will keep coming down to our room. Oh, I forgot about this thing. I have this homework assignment that's due. Oh, I don't want to forget to do this thing. And my friend, I want to remember to tell her that I'm, I'm going to be to her birthday party. But here's the funny thing. 
The homework assignment's not due for three weeks. The birthday party's not till next summer, right? Yep. And that really goes through her mind and she's genuinely worried she's going to forget about these things that are so important to her. Yeah. And I think we have employees that do the same thing. They start worrying about, oh, there's that thing that's going to happen in three weeks. Am I going to be ready? Well, we have time. How do we work through those type of emotions with someone? Like, how do I help her, the employee or my daughter work through this? Yep. So I'm going to say a couple of things there. Mm -hmm. One of the best ways that we can help other people, I believe, is through modeling the behavior. Mm. So I am all about the power behind the dad developing emotional intelligence and the dad and mom modeling emotional intelligence, which helps that their children see what that behavior looks like. That said, I'm going to role play and model that. Okay. It may sound a little hokey, but just kind of go with me for a minute. I'll go with it. I'll go with it. Okay. Hey, daughter, help me to make sure I'm clear. Are you feeling anxious right now? You know, the reason why I'm asking, I think anxiety is that emotion. Remember how we've talked about all your emotions matter. They're all important. And anxiety is that emotion that activates when you're concerned about things in the future. Now, notice, I didn't say anxiety is the emotion that activates when you perceive a risk to your physical safety or your emotional well-being. I'm not going to say that to a kid. Well, of right? course, yeah. So yeah. I'm using easier, lighter words. So I'm getting the sense that you're concerned about some things that you need to remember or you need to get done. Yes. And when you name it, you instantly start to tame it. And one of the techniques that we know with anxiety is to make a plan and then deliberately do. So daughter, I know it's bedtime. Do you want to quickly grab a piece of paper and pencil and we can make the list of the things that you need to get done? And if she's old enough, she could take that list to her bedside and write down anything else that comes to mind. And then you might further enhance the technique because let's face it, Clint, some people are more anxious than other people. Right. Oh, yeah. So yeah, this might be something that as a tool or a technique for her, you could really hone in on planning and whether that's in to do lists or that's a calendar or that's a ritual or a routine that gets done before bedtime. But what you're not doing is saying to your daughter, we've gone over this. This is ridiculous. The party isn't until February. <laughs> Why are you so concerned about this right now when you're going to bed? I may or may not have said that a few days ago, just like that. <laughs> we've all said that. <laughs> we've we've all I'm said like, that. I'm like, oh no. It's like I'm like, I'm like, you you cannot do this again. We yeah. have done this every night for so long, you know, da 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 da. da. So yeah. Okay. I like that. Again, as I said, I could go on and on and on. So I don't know where we are in our time, but yeah, we have a few more minutes. Let's, yeah. Okay. One of the other things that I feel is really important with mothers and fathers with their children, I don't want to say especially with fathers, but fathers are 
no exception. It's not just moms, but I believe that the emotional intelligence is just so vital for both parents. Here's another emotion, which is a difficult one at times, and it's shame. And shame is the emotion that activates when you are having concerns about your self-worth and your overall value of yourself as a person. Whereas guilt is the emotion that activates when you yourself violate your own belief system. Okay, so I'm going to go back to anger. Anger is the emotion that activates when something happens or someone else, your external world, does something that violates your belief system. Guilt is the emotion that activates when you yourself violate your own belief system. So if you believe stealing is wrong and you find yourself kind of tempted to steal some nail polish, guilt is going to hopefully activate to get you to course correct and take an action, which is leave the nail polish right where it is. Shame is the emotion that activates to let you know when you yourself are having concerns and undervaluing, you are feeling that you're not worthy. And Clint, what so many parents do unknowingly is when their children misbehave, they shame them instead of allowing their guilt to be at play. So here's what it looks like, okay? You have a pool in your backyard and you're having that graduation party and little Johnny comes running up and does a cannonball right in the middle and gets all the guests wet. This is shame. Johnny, what were you thinking? You are so inconsiderate and I can't believe you can't control yourself and use the ladder like we talked about and that you would go in and you would get everybody. I'm just, you know what? Just go inside and take a time out because I'm really not happy. That's shaming because that is focusing on him and his self-worth. This is guilt. Johnny, I am very angry that you jumped in that pool and it resulted in everybody getting wet. Notice how I'm focused on the behavior. I'm very angry that you did a cannonball, jumped in the pool like we asked you not to, and got everybody wet. I'd like you to go inside and cool off for 20 minutes. Mm. That's guilt. Yeah. Let them start to feel. Yeah. Yes. Like you see these bumper stickers or you hear these people say, guilt, don't feel guilty. Guilt is bad. Mm -hmm. Guilt is good. It's helping someone build their morals, their integrity. So that's what I like. Because we have to have experiences like the way that we build, we're saying what our core values are personally or our foundation belief system is by having experiences and by honestly going against it sometimes, not intentionally, but it happens, we feel it. And then that's how we solidify what we believe. What I'm hearing from you is we need to teach our children what we believe, model it. And yes. then they get to, you know, you help them with your belief system and then you can help teach them those things well before it happens so that they can feel, you know, and respond appropriately. And I love what you are saying, which is as an unrivaled man, 
as the father with responsibility for a family, one of the number one long game efforts is to impart your beliefs onto your children. We want our children to acquire certain beliefs, right? And this distinction between shame and guilt is so vital to that process. And so many people don't realize the difference. So if you want to impart those beliefs on your children, there are countless learning opportunities and stumbling blocks along the way. And the key is guilt is good. I want Johnny to feel guilty that he got everybody wet, but I don't want him to feel shame and have his self-worth diminished because of the way I engaged as the father. But if you don't know the difference and the same exact thing that we just said. And if they can't feel the difference from us, right? Because we can push our emotions on them and make them feel like they're not worth. But I'm going to clarify something because I'm not sure if I heard you correctly. They absolutely can feel the difference from you. People know when they're being corrected for behavior that was unacceptable, as opposed to how people feel when they are being shamed. It's two very different feelings. And the same, Clint, the same holds true at work. Go back to the original role play we did of the employee who didn't deliver on time. Yes. You could be the leader and you could shame that employee or you can guilt that employee. And I know that that's awkward in the way I said yeah. it, but you don't want to shame your employees. What I realized is so we talked, we, we were kind of originally talking about, you know, how people will start feeling, you know, they'll repress some of their anger and it turns into just something that kind of continues and holds on to you. But basically, if they're able to work through those emotions and they feel it internally because they have such clarity, right? We talk about clarity, yes. the clarity of expectation from you, their leader. Now they start feeling guilty to you, right? Because they didn't live up to the expectation, which is going to actually change behavior a lot more. That's the whole point. The point is to change the behavior. And so they're going to change their behavior a lot more with that, yes. that engaging with it. Absolutely. Right? And going back to the Johnny by the pool example, you could offer or you could say to Johnny, what do you think you should do to help correct this situation? And if he's sitting there blankly, you could say, do you think we could offer people some towels to dry off? Do you think it would be helpful to apologize? So it's exactly what you're saying in we want the behavior to change. And we want him to feel guilty. And then we want that guilt to recede so he can go on and enjoy the party, right? We want that employee to feel guilty and have a plan for how it's not going to happen again so he or she can get back to work being productive. I love it. It's great, isn't it? Lisa, this is fantastic. No, these are great things. I mean, I hope that everybody listening is realizing hopefully this changed your view today about what emotions mean and their role in your life. Because going back to those myths, looking at the emotions and using them 
to our advantage using this information, not repressing them. I mean, these are powerful things. So, so Lisa, as we come to an end here of our visit, how do people learn more about this? Like, what's the next steps? Obviously, you have your program. And I know you put out information on social media all the time. Mm-hmm. I would love if our people could follow you or, or find out more if they wish. I appreciate that. So I'm on LinkedIn. So people can follow the Empowered by Emotions company page, or they can follow me, Lisa Welsher, personally there on LinkedIn. So either of those options are good. And by the way, everybody, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to all the places Lisa gives us right now. So you can just go click in the show notes and be taken directly to what she's saying. Great. So to that point, another URL is the website Empowered by Emotions. So people can navigate to empoweredbyemotions.com. And one of the things that we have there is the ability to, I'm not going to use the word newsletter, but the ability to sign up for weekly tips and tricks. It's just a snippet and just a little piece of valuable information that helps people kind of bite-sized, easy to digest pieces of information around emotional intelligence so they could sign up for that if they wanted. Kind of keep it top of mind. I like it. Yep, absolutely. And then with respect to the program, Clint, how they could, if people were interested in learning more, the program, it's a 12-week Empowered by Emotions program. It's offered publicly twice a year in March and then again in September. And for people who would rather, you know, would prefer an exclusive experience, We can do that program at any time, same 12-week content. So first option is to participate in one of the public offerings that starts in March or in September. And then the second way is to work one-on-one exclusively going through the 12-week program. Or if any of your listeners have a group of employees or a team of people who they would like to coordinate a private program, that's the third option. So basically companies who want their employees to all go through the program at the same time. And that's the other option. And that's all detailed on the Empowered by Emotions website. I love it. Lots of options, lots of tools. If you're looking for a way to be able to learn more about this and learn with your team, these are these are great resources. So Lisa, thank you for being on the show today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Clint. Take care. Thanks for joining me on this week's episode of the Unrivaled Man Podcast. I'm Clint Hoops, and if this show has impacted you, please share it with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts.